All right. Was the laughter because it's so weird or so familiar to us? Hey, listen, here at MCC, we like to normalize the awkward. And we've all been in a prayer meeting that felt something like that. If you've been in church long enough, you've been there. Um, And it's awkward to us because if you read your Bible... I'm thinking particularly of Acts chapter 4. The early church, they get together, they have a prayer meeting, and it precipitates an earthquake, and then the Holy Spirit fills the room, and it's this awesome experience. And then we go to our community groups and we have a prayer meeting, or we go to our back deck and we just have private prayer, and there's no earthquake. Are we doing something wrong? Well, maybe. (laughs) I think it's uh, Andy Stanley who talks about the share before prayer when we take the prayer requests, and, but it's crickets and no one says anything until finally after a while, someone puts up their hand and says, oh, I got one. And Andy Stanley says, you know what? I don't really want to pray for, oh, I got one. <laughs> because, oh, I got one means, you know, I haven't actually been praying about this myself. I've barely even been thinking about this myself, but I get really uncomfortable in times of silence, so I'm just going to fill the space. And what happens is that when we spend months and years praying that way, with these kind of flaccid, poorly, almost flippant prayers, it creates this, this ethos where prayer meetings feel to us boring, they lack vibrancy, and we don't really see the reason for it. Conversely, And this is a bit more encouraging, I hope. I do wonder, could it be the reason that that Acts chapter 4 prayer meeting, if you're familiar with it, was was so extraordinary is because of all of the very, very ordinary prayers that preceded that one. Um, As your pastor, there is a sense in which we really do want to normalize the awkward. Um, Not that we want to stay with the awkward, but we all got to start somewhere. So this morning, we are arriving at week three of our five-week teaching series uh, on prayer. We're calling it Plug and Pray. My name's Travis Bond. I have the privilege of serving as senior pastor here. This is a really good-looking congregation this morning, by the way. Um, Next week, if we could have maybe the first two pews over here, if you could all attend the second service, that would be great. Maybe with a hundred of your closest friends as well. We could even it out a little bit. But this is a good-looking good looking congregation. I'm, I'm glad you're here. We're working through this um, series on prayer. We're trying to make it a big emphasis for us. Um, so we're doing five sermons on prayer uh, from five different genres across the Bible. Uh, we're syncing this up, if you don't know, with a study in our co-ed community groups on prayer. And we're syncing that up with a study in our senior high on prayer and a study in our junior high on prayer. So we really want this to be something that we grab hold of as a church family uh, here at the start of our ministry year. Prayer is a big emphasis for us then. Why? Well, here's the not reason. We are not doing a sermon series on prayer because we want to be better at praying really impressive, really hyper-spiritual prayers. That's not why we're doing a series on prayer. Here's why we are doing a series on prayer. So we can take the next step. 
wherever you are. Whether, whether you would be described by your friends as what Christians sometimes call prayer warriors, or you're in here this morning and you're thinking, I haven't prayed in months or years or ever. Wherever you are, I want us to think through as a church family, what is my next step? I, I, I pray maybe once a week, Maybe the next step is praying daily. I pray never, not once. Maybe the prayer next step is praying one time. So we're doing a series on prayer to help us take the next step, whatever that is. Also, we're doing a series on prayer because there are a number of classic rock songs that allude to prayer. This morning, we're pivoting to Bon Jovi. If you're not a fan of Bon Jovi, perhaps you should pray about that, my friend. Week one, we studied a parable uh, of Jesus, and it was taught us to pray audaciously. Week two, we studied a narrative from the Old Testament, and it taught us to pray desperately. And then for week three this morning, we're studying a passage from the book of James that teaches us, I think, to pray steadily. Pray steadily. So if you haven't already, uh, grab your Bibles. Turn in the New Testament to the book of James, chapter 5. If you did not bring a Bible, there should probably be one laying somewhere around you. And you can turn in that to page 1013. James 5. If you drop your eyes down to verse 13, this now is the very word of the Lord. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Thus ends the reading of God's word. So let me give you a a series of couplets. Um, If you want to jot down some notes as we work our way through this passage, here's the first couplet that I wrote down. Pray in trial and pray in cheer. Pray in trial and pray in cheer. But verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, Uh, Book of James, written by a man named James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. So he was the biological son of Mary with Joseph. James was also a key leader in the early church in Jerusalem. So if you think it through, if you are a leader in the mother church, Jerusalem, and you are a brother of Jesus himself, you're kind of a big deal. And this James, he's teaching, beginning with verse 13, what he's saying is this. Prayer makes a dent. Prayer 
makes a dent. I'm not at all sure how human prayer interacts with divine sovereignty. Um, I think that's a mystery for the ages. But the biblical witness is exceedingly clear on this. Prayer makes a dent in reality. Verse 16 in the old King James, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James is teaching us to pray steadily no matter the context. I think it's kind of like if you're blessed with a good marriage. You know, for me, um, if I have good news, first thing I want to do, I want to tell Sarah and have her celebrate with me. If I have bad news, first thing I want to do is tell Sarah and have her encourage me. When I have good news, when I have bad news, prayers like that, when I rejoice, he's the first I'm going to sing to. When I'm hurt, he's the first I'm going to cry to. Because it's often on the occasion that I least feel like praying that I likely need to pray the most. It's often on the occasion that I least feel like praying that I likely need to pray the most. Verse 13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Well, what do we do with opposition, with hurt, with loss? No, honestly, what do we do? Grumble? Complain? Self-pity? That would be natural. But the believer's response is supernatural because we know that it's on the occasion that I least feel like praying that I likely need to pray the most. Let's do just a, a real quick reality check. The Brett Kavanaugh Supreme Court debacle that we've been living through the last week or two. Anybody in here have an opinion on that? <laughs> I thought you might, because I've been reading your posts, people. <laughs> I have an opinion, too. Now, here's the question. Quickly compare the amount of time you spent complaining about it this week to the amount of time you spent praying about it this week. What about job loss? What about marriage problems? School problems? See, what James is saying is that prayer should be our knee-jerk reaction. If prayer is intimate dialogue with God, and I don't really think we need any fancier definition for it than that. If prayer is intimate dialogue with God, if prayer is a declaration of dependence on God, then folks, turns out Hammer was right. You've got to pray, pray, just to make it today. Now, that might not be, you might not feel that. It might not be immediately apparent to you, right? Because right now, you're not going through deep sadness. You don't have this background melancholy. In fact, right now, is a great season of life, which is why we have the back half of verse 13. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. I think I'm actually more challenged by that. The second part of this couplet, when happiness arrives, when success happens, there is a genuine danger of us forgetting from whence my help cometh. Begg says it like this, when the storm settles, the skies clear, and the seas grow calm, do we forget the captain of our salvation? I think 
And you're free to disagree with me on this one. But I got it in my head that one of the reasons prayer so often gets squeezed into the last two minutes of our community group gatherings or the very tail end of our committees or our ministry team meetings is because we make our prayer requests so often such a bummer. Some of us have it in our heads. And I don't know if we would say it this way, but it's in there somewhere that if I'm going to share something for a friend, for a, a brother or sister in Christ to pray about, it probably needs to be really, really bad. And if you're having a community group, for instance, that's, that's filled with laughter, or it's, it's filled with meaningful conversation, who wants a buzzkill? So we push prayer to the very end, and then we get through it as fast as we possibly can. Group leaders, committee chairs, ministry team leaders, don't do that. We got to grieve with those who grieve, of course, but we got to rejoice with those who rejoice. Let our time of prayer together be both. Let our prayers together be seasoned with a lot of celebration, a lot of thanksgiving, which then sets up the second couplet in the text. This is from verse 14 and 15. Pray against sickness and pray against sin. Pray against sickness and pray against sin. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. When those around us are sick, we got to pray for them. You know this. You guys do this. We also have this resource. Let him call the elders of the church. Please note, by the way, it says that the initiative lies with the one who is ill. It's not any elder's job to go around scouting for people who are sick. Let the individual, it says, call the elders of the church. I don't think this should be meant to um, limit prayer to just the elders. I'm sure it doesn't. Uh, Verse 16 twice references the one another aspect of our prayers. And if you don't know already, um, here at MCC, our community group leaders, they are trained. We do regular trainings with them. Pastor Don oversees that ministry and he does a great job with it. And we train our community group leaders that the first line of pastoral care does not involve pastoral staff at all. The first line of pastoral care is at the community group level. It's one of the reasons we really, really encourage people to be in one of our community groups. Right now, I think we got like 78% of our membership is in a community group. We got them for co-ed. We got them for men, for women, youth. Someone has a new baby. The community group provides meals first. Somebody needs help with rides. The community group steps up first. Somebody is sick. The community group visits and prays for them first. And then, of course, we all know there's times of sickness and illness that we kind of want to expand the, the prayer circle, as it were. So James invites us to call on church leaders, elders, to pray 
and anoint with oil. And we've done that numerous times here at MCC over the years. But if you've never read this passage before and you're not familiar with that, someone might be wondering, well, Trev, what's the deal with the oil? Is it WD-30? Is there a, is a viscosity reading matter? FYI, we do a little dab of usually olive oil on the head. But why? Why do we do that? Why does the Bible tell us to do that? It's a good question. I trust we can dispel any notion that there's some magic potion involved there. The olive oil comes from market basket. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> we don't do anything to it. So here's, here's three reasonable interpretations for verse 14. The, the purpose of oil in conjunction with prayer for healing could be medicinal, could be ritual, could be symbolic. Three reasonable interpretations to verse 14. Number one, the use of oil could be ritual. Um, the same word that's used here in verse 14, anoint, uh, the same word is used uh, several spots in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. You can think of Exodus chapter 40, uh, Numbers chapter 3. But I'm not sure that's a great interpretation here because we're not really anointing priests. We're not anointing kings. So number two, the use of oil here could be medicinal. Um, and we, 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 think of, we see that even in the New Testament. Luke 10, the good Samaritan, he takes in the wounded man. He pours, it says, oil and wine on his wounds. Um, oil was kind of a common first aid in the first century. Um, we also read of various anointings for medical purposes, uh, massaging oil into a horse's legs for, uh, after an injury, that sort of thing. Which, of course, opens up the possibility of an MCC massage service where elders are just rubbing people's backs for them. <laughs> but I'm not ready to launch that ministry quite yet. I think the interpretation here should be option number three, that the use of oil is symbolic. So it sort of combines, again, in conjunction with prayer, the, the ritual and the medicinal, and it's symbolic then of our expectation and our good hope of God's healing presence upon one who is quite ill. I mean, you're a bright church. You can study this stuff for yourself. You can draw your own conclusions. But regardless, it's clear that it's the prayer. It's not the oil. It's the prayer here that's the significant factor. Because as the passage goes on, we pray for one another. If you're beginning to weaken in verse 13, then you need someone to come alongside you in verse 14. If my knees are starting to buckle, I need someone to support me. It's on the occasion that I least feel like praying that I likely need to pray the most. Into verse 15, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Huh. This is an interesting pivot there in the text, isn't it? We go straight from a discussion on outward sickness, and then suddenly... We're discussing inward sin. This is not to say that every outward illness is caused by a spiritual ailment. Um, diagnosed with melanoma, there's got to be some hidden sin in your life, that sort of thing. We reject that. I think what James is teaching here is that our need for healing, for physical healing, ought not eclipse our need for internal repentance. C.S. Lewis says it like this. This is a good quote. Those who do not think about their own sins 
make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. A serious attempt to repent and really to know one's own sins is in the long run a lightening and relieving process. And that's the idea that carries us into our final point here. So James, the brother of Jesus, leader of the Jerusalem church, he writes that we should pray in trial and pray in cheer. We should pray against sickness. We should pray against sin. Last couplet, pray with confession and pray with consistency. Pray with confession and pray with consistency. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Seems to be saying the church is meant to be a we, not just a me, dependent on prayer. The church is meant to be a we, not just a me, dependent on prayer. Um, Some of you will recall maybe Uh, a year or two ago now, Indiana, a boy named Phil Mick. It was national news briefly, social media uh, for a little while. Um, 11-year-old boy named Phil Mick. Um, As Joe Novenson tells it, uh, this boy was getting ready to enter into middle school, and he told his mom he didn't want to go. This followed, as it turned out, two years of bruises that he kept hiding on his body or reporting that he had just fallen down. Finally, so he was getting ready to enter in middle school. Finally admitted to his mom that he was being ganged up on, mistreated. Said, I can't go to school anymore. And then he relayed just awful verbal and physical abuse that I will not detail here. And his mom, she, she shared her burden with a couple of family friends. And one of them said, I got this. His name was Brent Warfield. He's a member of a local motorcycle club, got some of the club's colors, and he put them on Phil. And then he called the superintendent and the principal of the school, and he said, we would like to escort Phil on the first day of school. Knowing what the boy had been through, the superintendent and the principal said, bring it. (laughs) First day of junior high. 50 motorcyclists pull into the parking lot (laughs) and escort this 11-year-old boy to school. Weeks after this, his mom said, quote, for the very, excuse me, for the first time in a very long time, I see him smile because he feels safe. Now that picture of of, of support and strength and one another. Do you see how different that looks from the awkward prayer gathering that we started with there? I mean, we've got to start somewhere, okay? And that's all right, but we don't leave it there. Week after week, month after month, hiding our sins from one another? Folks, hidden sin will beat the living daylight out of you. 
Your pastors want MCC to be the kind of place where when life is happiest or life is harshest, we're honest and we're purposed in prayer as a church family. We're, we're diligent. We got relationships that are, that are full of life and they're safe and they're authentic. If you're brand new to church, or maybe you spent plenty of time in church and you're kind of soured on it, I want you to know, this is what MCC is. This is what we increasingly want to be. A place where, you know, when the culture throws you out, we proclaim, hey, Christ takes you in. (laughs) When the world calls you trash, the church calls you treasure. Because the church is a we, not just a me, dependent in prayer. Prayer is not an incantation, where if you, you know, you just say the right words and you really, really mean it enough, we'll always get a yes. That is not what this passage is saying. Um, I think you know that. Scripture is filled with examples of God saying yes and delivering, sometimes through ordinary means, sometimes through miraculous means. And then Scripture is also filled with Philippians chapter 2, Epaphroditus not healed from a lingering illness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Trophimus was left sick in Miletus. 2 Corinthians 12, you guys know this one. Paul prayed vigorously that his thorn in the flesh would be taken from him, but God replied, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Or how about this one? From the mouth of our Lord himself in Gethsemane. Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? I'll be honest with you. We're going to strive to be an authentic church. Should be authentic in the pulpit. Sometimes my heart longs to pray the prayer of faith. Prayer filled with it. Sometimes not so much. Sometimes I pray, I think, with a whole lot of faith. And sometimes I pray with faith little more than a mustard seed. If that, but it's on the occasion that I least feel like praying that I likely need to pray the most. And in so doing, we trust to quote Dick Lucas, God will either answer our prayer exactly as we've asked it, or he'll give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that he knew. So church, pray steadily. C.S. Lewis wrote, all prayers are heard. Though not all prayers are granted. When the event you prayed for occurs, your prayer has always contributed to it. When the opposite event occurs, your prayer has never been ignored. It is considered and refused for your ultimate good and the good of the whole universe. So pray steadily. That's where we're going to end because that's where the passage ends. These last couple of verses here, um, they take us all the way back to the Old Testament picture of the prophet uh, Elijah. He's praying faithfully. He's praying steadily that God would send rain. Note, he he has a nature like ours. Or in some of your translations, Elijah was a man just like us. He wasn't divine. He didn't get like a special access to God. He was he just like us, and he prayed. This is actually a, a really meaningful Bible story to me. Um, do you guys remember 
in the era of mimeograph machines and film strips and overhead projectors. How many of you remember the flannel graph? Yes, good. I'm not I'm on my own here. So uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Sunday School. This was like my entire childhood. And honestly, one of my earliest memories was the flannel graph. Um, this is, so it's a felt board with these stick-on biblical characters. And it was the scene, and it must have been preschool or kindergarten, somewhere in there. It was the scene of Elijah praying for rain, 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, if you don't know, it's at, at the top of Mount Carmel. And over and over there, he sends his servant to look out toward the sea for rain, it says. And over and over, the servant says, comes back and says, there's no rain. And Elijah keeps praying. He keeps praying over and over again until finally, seventh time, the servant comes back and he says, behold, a little cloud the size of a man's, do you know, fist or a man's hand. A little cloud is rising from the sea. And then it just rained and it rained. And I, I want to say this morning to all of our Kick AM teachers and all of our Kick at Night volunteers and all of our nursery workers, to this day, I credit my understanding that prayer is to be done repeatedly and steadily and persistently. Folks, it was the silly little flannel graph in Sunday school with the little cutout of praying Elijah and the little felt gray piece of cloud. That's where I learned this stuff the first time. And it stuck with me. And it's informed my prayers when it felt like, I, my, my doctrine told me otherwise, but it felt like my, my prayers were hitting the ceiling. They weren't affecting anything. And I remembered this passage. And it's gotten me through a lot of the harder days. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.